welcome to industry Rado. talk yes welcome oh, to right. industry talk I don't um, know if that's what we're gonna call I don't, it. I, but... <laughs> really and, and that was what I meant. Like I don't even know how to start this. Um, uh, so welcome, Patreons, to the uh, I guess yeah, industry talk. Fuck it. I don't mm, know. We'll do, figure it out. We're, we're doing some shop Name talk. Pending, TBD. Yeah, we're doing some shop um, talk. Matt Santia has stayed after. We just finished up recording our episode three. Thank you, Matt, for coming oh, out. No and doing problem. That with Thank us. you for having me. Um, so. I asked, Joe and I here asked if you would stick around and kind of chat with us a little bit about being on movie sets. Mm -hmm. um, remind everybody again what it is that you do in the industry. So I'm a primarily a screenwriter. Um, I also direct and act, but for me, screenwriting has been my kind of like my ticket into breaking into the industry, I should say. Same order too, by the way. Oh, I didn't you thought I forgot. I did, yeah. Nicely there you go. done, uh, sir. Uh, uh, uh. Um, but yeah, so I actually, the movie that made me want to be a writer, oddly enough, Scream. Okay. Yeah, because Beautiful. it's just so smart. It's just so smart, and it takes a genre and it turns it on its head. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it in high school. I think I went to go see it. I think I wasn't even in high school. I was a junior high. Saw it nine times in the theater. Wow. And um, I knew I wanted to write, even though at the time I nine wanted to act. Times. Nine. Nine times. Nine times. I wanted to, to act, but writing for me was something, like I like I mentioned before, actors don't get a lot of control. So I thought, yeah. I'm going to write. So I move out to L.A. I'm like 20 years old. I go to USC, and USC is incredibly intimidating because you're going to class with these people who grew up with cameras you know they they had they've had cameras since they were little kids mm -hmm. they knew how to, to edit at the time it was avid you know everyone editing them. right they knew how to do that stuff they grew up with those machines they knew that stuff so it's like really intimidating for me and i just couldn't hang out there i i loved it out there i just couldn't hang and i moved back home and i thought my career was over i thought there's no way you're going to make it in the in the industry um wow, the yeah. industry's out in la you're not there you had all these opportunities and you just you squandered them and i thought there's no way i'm gonna make it um and actually a friend of mine hired me to write a short for her um and that was my first paid gig oh, okay. after nice. after 10 years of doing it i want to say oh, 10 wow. years of writing so you were in la 10 years after school no i was <clears throat> i was in la from 2003 to 2000 like 10 or 11 2011. Okay. i graduated 2009 but i mean I've been writing since I since I was a kid. It's funny, you, know you were I mean? basically in L.A. the whole time I was in Florida. Okay. 2003, 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I would say it's about 10 years of me doing it seriously until I got paid. Jesus. What was that short? It was actually it was for a, a clothing line called Drama Queen. It was a, it was a, um, like a infomercial kind of. And like me thinking, okay, I'm gonna write these yeah. great movies. I'm gonna write these, and I'm here. I am writing this infomercial, but it's like, as a writer, you need to take every single job you can get, and it's not selling selling out. It's not selling yourself short. It's like so you can understand the form and the format of different kinds of writing, and you need to do that. And it makes yeah. you better. Are there particular screenwriters that um, you have looked into as far as um, inspiration or style, or do you kind of just I mean, it's tough. There are certain screenwriters, like for me, like like um, Aaron Sorkin, the mm -hmm. way that he writes dialogue. Mm -hmm. I can't can't really find many people that write dialogue. Like the Social Network, to me, is a masterclass in dialogue writing. Yeah, 
And so, like, Very you know, true. I find movies that are that are inspire me, and then I find like aspects of that film that I, you know, that I love. Um, you I know, watched that recently, and I, it had been since theaters since I had seen it, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, you know, fuck it, I'll, I'll watch this. <clears throat> I was really surprised how dialogue driven it really was. A lot of the scenes took place in conversations, long, yes. long extended conversations, long extended conversations, but not boring. No, not the way at all. that he writes dialogue, very naturalistic. Yeah. It's interesting. It's really is inspirational. And then like a lot of times I'll take inspiration from novels. Okay. Like Oscar Wilde. He's just so like Oscar Wilde just has all of these intricacies about him and the way that he writes and the way that he was like persecuted and he deserved it, man. He was a dick, but he was, (laughs) he was phenomenal. He was, he was a great writer. Mm -hmm. So there's certain writers that I, that I find, but a lot of times it's, it is novels or Murakami. Uh, Murakami is one of my absolute favorite novels. I have just recently gotten into Murakami. Yeah, yes. Um, I started with uh, 19... Like 19... Q1? Q4? Yeah. It's 19... Yeah, 19Q4. Yeah. Replaceable 84. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then... Which was an incredible book. Mm. Uh, it's a mo- it's a book that I don't think you could ever do as no. a movie. No, and that's what the ever. little people, right? The yes. little people. Like, you feel like you gotta like whisper because they'll hear you. Yeah, and they're so it, scary. It introduces a whole different world. You got the second or third moon. I don't remember how many moons, but mm-hmm. yeah, the whole thing. It's it, the other book that I read was uh fuck off. something about sheeps, and then there was a uh, sequel to it. Uh, it was about the hotel. Yes, I, yeah, um, I don't remember. I don't remember the names of them, but their his stories are so unique. Like there's. I really don't know how to even describe the book to, to somebody. Yeah, to me, like right. I just read one by him called The Wind Up Bird Chronicle, and it's yep, about a guy it's on, who's on my list. It's amazing. It's a guy's cat goes missing basically, and then his wife goes missing, and then it's it's almost like if David Lynch were to write a book. Yes, that's how okay. that's yeah, how I feel yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, Maruka Hurakami is fascinating, and yeah, his not books are. Me. Oh man, uh, I, the one that I would say like if I haven't read his whole bibliography yet, so of the ones that I've read. I would recommend that you start with 19Q4 because it's right. it's altogether strange and engrossing at the same time. Um, the lead is a female assassin who lives her life as a masseuse and a dancer. Okay. And she just kills men. And second to that, the male lead is, I forget what he does in life. Um, I, I, most of them are writers. Most of his characters are writers, so I okay. think he might be a writer. So we way. should read. We should read him. Hundred percent. Yeah. So okay. I find for 100%. me when I'm lacking, when I like, and I think even Stephen King said something along the lines: "It's like if you're, if you're looking for inspiration, read." Yeah. Yeah. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah, like, as a writer, that's the yeah. best. Stephen thing you can King do is, is one of the things block. that I had yep. where um, you know because I don't fancy myself a writer. Right. I, I can conceptualize a concept, but then from there, it's like I, I really don't want the responsibility of the, the in-betweens. But coming up with stories is fascinating and fun. And Stephen King had said that he just sits and reads like newspaper headlines yeah. and then just takes that or um, what am I afraid of? You know, and then elaborates on that, like uh, Salem's Lot, Salem's Lot. No, uh, uh, Pet Cemetery. Uh, it was a similar situation with his son had occurred. Yeah. And he was like, oh, my God, if my son had died. And then he just, he just took it to the extreme. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a drawing on life experiences is, is amazing. Yes. Um, do you do, are, do you fancy yourself a Stephen King fan? 
Okay, so again, like the Cohen brothers, mm-hmm. I have mass amounts of respect for him. The way that he churns out stuff and it's good quality stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've only actually read like three book, two books by him. I've only recently one I loved, reading him, and the other one not so much for me. Again, I I appreciate it. So I I read, but my um, one of my best friends, she got me um, his book on writing. It's I think it's called On Writing. Okay, it's, yeah. it, and it's phenomenal. So like that's more of like a biography, but it's also like how to, like yeah. a how to kind of thing too, and that was phenomenal. I I love that stuff. It's just his he's so dense. He's so dense. For I me. grew up with Stephen King. My like, dad was a big appreciator. You know, uh, it, uh, the Green Mile, all of them really. There's too many to name, right? And there are quite a few. We've been at it for a while tonight. So it's, my dad had all these hardbacks that I would read. You know, when I was younger, so I started with uh, Tolkien and then Stephen King and some Dean Koontz, some Tom mm-hmm. Clancy. You know what I mean? And Clancy's really where I'd split ways. My dad, that is bad writing, but that's not the kind of writing I was into. I I really more liked the fantasy. I really, you know, Tolkien was my favorite stuff. Yeah. So, but Stephen King was always a very close second when I was younger. Like now, in like it, it didn't follow me into old age or anything not that i dislike him any I, he's still very inspirational to me mm-hmm. you know, it was great but he he's limited to me like as an adult like he's very like the kind of fear-based writing he's doing is he tortures children a lot yes yeah and it's it's because he 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 felt that kind of fear and torture as a child mm-hmm. and uh as as a parent through his children, he was scared for them, yeah. right? So there's a lot of that. But, yeah, it just became a little juvenile for me, especially since I was exposed to it at a young age, you yeah. know what I mean? So, um, I mean, I read it myself. It wasn't forced upon me. Like, yeah. there were books on the shelf, and I read them. Yeah, but yeah. No, he definitely has um, a thing with putting children in danger. He yeah. does it quite a bit. Um, where... Where do you find yourself leaning when it comes to your writing as far as topics or so I, I think like most, primarily most of the, what I've been written has or what I've written has been thriller based. We're actually we're working on um, if I can't have you chasing the ghost. We're working on a third uh, script right now called The Spider, the Fly and I, which which Calvin, um, he calls our trilogy. It's a trilogy. <laughs> nice. um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. But like. I actually, when I first got started, I primarily got hired to write stories that were based off other people's lives. Okay. Um, and which is really interesting. You know, you are trusted. Somebody entrusts you with their life stories and their events. And you have, you. I mean, for me, this incredible reverence that I have for that. So the first story was my best friends, Kyle Couch, his wife. Um, and I met them when I was, I'm a recovery addict as well. Um, and I was in a... Um, it's a homeless shelter um, mm-hmm. to recover, and it's called Grace Centers of Hope, and it's great, great. I'm familiar uh, with yeah, it's, it's great. But I met somebody there who was had gone through the program, and he was working. His name's Kyle Couch, so his wife had gone through quite a, quite a few 
series of events and she's been through quite a bit and so i wrote it about her and we actually entered into this co- this competition and we won first place and we got actually got out to sundance for it oh no shit. yeah it's called the eulogy and um so i wrote nice. that, that i wrote that and that led me into writing a, a script called life prescribed which is about another individual's life and struggle with drugs mm-hmm. so i wrote that and then actually i was hired by this this businessman to write his life story so i was spent a whole year writing his life story so and that actually that's that script hasn't isn't out yet uh, i don't know if it ever, ever will be but it was a great experience for me um but that was primarily my beginning phase was writing like stories based off other people's like true true stories well it seems to me like for, just from your list from our discussion earlier and uh the unorthodox film podcast that like you like personally evo- films that evoke emotion the script that evokes 100%. emotion so definitely influences it comes through in your writing that you're trying to get some kind of pivotal emotional reaction from your audience mm-hmm. so i i think like starting with thrillers you know and doing those and growing into more like subdued emotional like I, I i see the path you're painting for yourself and i like it i think oh, it's thanks. good i appreciate it. yeah i just i think for me a film above all else should evoke emotion mm-hmm. and um whether you are laughing crying it, you know it should it should get you and that's kind of what i would like to do eventually is kind of take these true stories that are like drama based and kind of a little bit with the thriller but not so much like like character studies like that's to me is yeah. like fascinating that's and that's that's what i'm i'm referring to is how you said like obviously uh, any creative filmmaker is trying to ev- evoke emotion of some sort but you said like like real and almost surprise like surprising emotion like you don't see it coming like it's unexpected even though it fits within the realm of the plot and mm-hmm. like so it's yeah and I think you do it well. Oh, like, thank you. I know you you did you did that well in in our script for Nightcap. Once we got to our uh, our third draft, which is ultimately kind of the final draft until we really get the ball rolling with the right voices in the right seats and do a table read where people you mm-hmm. know bring the characters actually to life. Yeah. Um. Let me see. <clears throat> I think you make that you paint a canvas that makes it easier for the actor to come and make it their own. Mm. And that took me a while too, when I first started writing. And I know for a lot of writers out there that are starting out, you don't know how much to write. You don't know how much is too much. And you, and you got to figure out a way that's like a happy medium to where you're giving the actor suggestions on what they should do, but you're not directing them. Same with the director. You're giving them, you're giving them suggestions and you're painting a sketch, like a script's a blueprint first Mm -hmm. and foremost. So you're painting a sketch for the director, but you don't want to over direct. So you got to find that, the happy balance. And I think that it comes with finding your voice as a writer and don't give up, man. Like don't give up. Do you find or have you found yourself writing scripts down that, that never see the light of anyone's day? Like- I've been pretty lucky. Um, I have a script that I've written that I wrote for my like my thesis project at my gra- for grad school that probably will never get made, and it was terrible trash. Mm-hmm. Ter- terrible trash. But it got me to the next script, which wasn't so terrible trash. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's what I think a lot of people don't get is that, yeah, you know, you might write something, you might not see the light of day, but it's preparing you for that script that will see the light of day. Right. And people are going to, like, want to watch it. And um, so I've been lucky. Most of my stuff has been produced. 
Um, I, I most of the time get hired to write, you know, a particular project. Mm -hmm. So I, I've very luck, luck, very lucky again, it after 15 plus years, you know what I mean? But there's not a whole lot of times that I write something and I think like, this is never going to be seen because for me, you know, you can, you can figure it out. You know, you have friends in the industry or Mm -hmm. even if you don't have friends, get a camera, get a, get an iPhone, shoot on that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. The, uh, Man, sometimes I just start talking without thinking what I'm going to say. I knew okay, what I was going to well, say. Well, I got something. Yeah, go ahead. So um, I, I know we're focusing on you being a writer, but you're also a director and actor. Um, and we will talk about that when we have you on in future episodes. You can uh, go down those avenues. But um, is there anything, since this is our first episode of industry chat industry or whatever talk. we're going to call it, yeah, uh, <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to ask Bradford or I? Because I, I, I'm a, a gaffer yeah. and, and grip, and he does AD work. And Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. for me, I work mostly on the, the writing end of things. So me then coming to set, I met both of you guys on uh, If I Can't Have You. Correct. And right. so I, I guess, how do you approach? Like, I approach it with, here's a script, this is the blueprint, this is what we're doing. And then when you guys get the script, like, how do you approach, like, the lighting, like how you, how are you gonna come? How do you approach the project? I guess from that mm-hmm. end. I, th- I think the proper way to answer that question would be you going first as the AD. Yeah, I was gonna say so. It depends on my role, comes but after. Uh, I mean, the fast answer is as a grip, you you don't because you know you are the direct product of your superiors, right? So it's not even important most times for a grip to get the script, so they usually just get the sides. Uh, but as an AD, um, it's it's a logistical approach, right? So when I get a script, I read it through once, and that is for entertainment purposes. That is for just me to experience the script as a viewer would watching the movie. And I have to try and think of it only in that way so that I can stay focused on what that provides the viewer because I have to understand the story so that I can assist the, assist the director in the, in the decisions that you know come on set. Secondly, I will then read it through again, but this time now, I okay, there's a prop, there's a gun. Oh, he smacks him in the face. Okay, so I have to now think of it in an element point of view. What What is it going to take? stunts, locations. Right. What, in order for this, this picture that I've now elaborated in my head to get up on screen, what is required? Because I, I then have to break all that down. Um, your scripts are broken down in eighth pages. I use Movie Magic uh, to do that. Um, it's a scheduling software that, uh, like I said, it just does it for you. And then Final Draft, I do um, I, I make it a requirement. There are a lot of there are a lot of writers that still haven't invested in Final Draft. Yeah, please do that. I, I highly recommend just getting a Final Draft. It's a one-time cost at the moment. Uh, we just uh, looked into some Movie Magic software for uh, budgeting for Nightcap. And they no longer sell it. It's now a subscription. So okay. it's now SAAS. So it's like, right. buy it, but if, but if buy you it now, it, buy it now yeah. so yeah. that you have it. Because even if, if you don't get they're offering a lifetime subscription, buy but, it before so, they well, go monthly. So what we found out with Final Draft, it's, it's not like the updates are only available to like the end of your version. Right. right. So um, and that but that's fine because really all, all you need it for is writing the script. It, it helps format for you. Uh, when I get uh, Celtics uh, scripts, they, they don't have scene numbers. So the, all of this is important to me. Uh, because I have to then, I have to then approach the script in a way that's not in any sort of order. So I have to fully understand what's going on in each scene, what makes it happen, who needs to know about what. 
all of that information is broken down um, into spreadsheets or um, you know through the software to help us uh, delineate the schedule because yeah. then my next step is to put the puzzle together where are all the locations how can I shoot these locations you know what scenes all happen at this one location can I fit it all in one day you know is it going to take two days if it takes two days is it one and a half days can I fit another location here and, and now it's a matter of moving things around in the best guess way it's all a hypothesis because and there's all so that many can, moving parts you could do your best job and all of a sudden an actor can't make this one half a right. day yes and you, you know I'm, I'm adjusting schedules the all the way up around. to a shoot day many yeah. times so I do I do that first read through that's for entertainment my second read through is for those elements and so forth the third read through is to try and you know make sure I understand it is for more familiarity from there I've, I look at the after that I don't I don't read the script as a whole ever again from there I'm looking at it in in reference to so now i'm looking at scene 13 right this is this is what and who and where i need scene 13 and now i'm associating scene 13 14 18 20 and 23 together because those are the ones that are all happening right. so basically once he gets his uh his preliminary schedule locked down and he starts trying to schedule everything he calls in uh, the department heads, which would mm -hmm. be the director of photography. I send all the department the gaffer, heads, um, uh, the key grip, all of the, the, the documents. Director, yeah, all the documents that I've then prepared. So uh, they're what's called the dudes. Prop master. The day out of days. The day out of days has everything broken down. So for someone like Art Joe, director, if we have special lights. so we do if a he tech needs, scout. Yep. If he needs to have police lights, if he needs to have party lights, if he needs to have certain things that as an AD and as someone with the experience in lighting, I'm not I'm not there to make any calls. But if, if something comes to head like, oh, hey, we're going to need a fog machine and I put that down on the notes, he then has the day out of days to know that on these days I'm expected to have these things. Right. No. And I do own a fog machine, but maybe you need one that has a larger capacity or a smaller capacity. Maybe you need one with fine haze and I have more of a... a an outdoor like wood fogger or party fogger right so like i can rent those things mm -hmm. for the day at a decent price with connections i have in the industry and you know you can get them for a decent price even without my connections i just happen to get it for like five to ten dollars cheaper for the day it's mm -hmm. not even huge but a lot of that's because i go pick it up like because mm -hmm. they will deliver sometimes if it's the right amount of money and the right amount of equipment but yeah it's it's really helpful to have all those things laid out properly by a proper AD like Bradford or Chris Warren, you know, uh, some people I know that do that. Um, uh, Margaret Wazinski is a great one mm -hmm. as well. She did great on Good Thief when we worked on that, and she's done so great on other projects. Um, as a gaffer, uh, tech scout is important, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But also, like, reading the script is helpful but not completely necessary i enjoy doing it because i enjoy the storytelling and being a part of it but it's important to know what emotions the light right. has to capture and to work with the dp in conjunction to get the shot composition to be just what the director and the writer and the dp want right mm -hmm. so I have to understand those emotions. And that can be done with a proper breakdown of the script. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have to read the full script 
but I do personally enjoy doing that. Context helps. You know, it, it does. It really depends on, on, on the type of script. Um, you know, one script may have an overall tone, so all you need to do is light the room. But my job is more technical-based. I need to right. know about power, mm -hmm. availability, and consumption, and, mm -hmm. like, how many lights I'm going to need. Like, are we doing, like, a long scene down, like, a hallway or through the woods where I need to put up 12 lights? Right that aren't even on the scene we're filming. They're just for ambiance in the background. Like, I need to know these things ahead of time. And, I, and if it's that elaborate, I would need to show up an hour before everybody else to do all these crazy things. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful dance that we have to do. Uh, I remembered what I wanted to ask you. Uh, when approaching characters, how do you develop your characters? So I personally, I give every character a diagnosis. Um, okay. I do, I do. Even if it's not in the script, like I feel like every character, every human being has something that there's something that they're battling or they're facing or they're, you know, yeah. something like that. So I said, you know, that looks like an OCD. That looks like ADD. That looks like borderline personality. Okay, so then I I start there and then I work backwards. Okay, and that's kind of how I approach. What's that. their idiosyncrasy? Yeah, and how do I make it more? Yeah, like for Nightcap, relatable. the one of the characters yeah. speaks in malapropisms, you know, that, and that I that was what we knew that that's what we knew we wanted for Penny. Mm -hmm. So we knew she spoke in malapropisms, and then we worked backwards from that. Like, okay, well, she also does crossword puzzles, and she also does this. Well, you know, it all stemmed from like this kind of diagnosis that we gave. Interesting. Mm -hmm. If I recall correctly, I don't know uh, if you did for Nightcap, but I know with uh, either Chasing the Ghost or most definitely with If I Have You, uh, can't If have I Can't you. Have You, um, playlists, character playlists. Yeah, I do that too. Um, so like we'll kind of just, I'll write, or I'll, I'll put down songs that kind of encapsulate the character. Mm -hmm. And while I'm writing their scenes, I'll play that in the, in the background. We did like, we did, for Nightcap, because the bar is such a prevalent kind of character, the mm -hmm. bar is, we didn't play this for the bar. We call it Penny's Jukebox. Music yeah. is, is a bit yeah. of a contentious topic right now for me because I'm, I'm having a, a difficult time. with. I don't want I don't want the soundtrack to just be loud. I don't want me because it's the bar, right? At one point, we turned the jukebox off, but that's just, you know, at that particular point. Um, so it's like, do we have absolute silence? Do I, like I, So right now, how how and when we use music is is well in the the deep in my head because being yeah, but approaching I, with a low I know, budget i, I want to use I can't all local pull. musicians for that right so right but it's a matter of how yeah you know? yeah yeah so i mean it's that's what i do i, I do playlists I, I like when i'm directing i love to have the actor like i'll give every actor like a playlist for their oh, character that's incredible yeah okay. that's i remember what I like the first time you you broached this subject with me it was on if i can't have you and you were playing the character oliver and you were like i was riding with you somewhere you're like you don't mind i put on my oliver character playlist i need to get into the, like we were going to the store between mm -hmm. scenes or something yeah cigarettes i think and yeah i was like no go ahead and yeah. then you explained to me why right. and it was just so fascinating yeah and and that playlist was called two four six eight how do you know your kids are straight <laughs> and that is that playlist because oliver was just like the the most the, flamboyant the, yeah like... he's the gay your parents warned you about you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. so like yeah so that's why i i named it that and every time that i before i would go go on uh on set i would just put my headphones on and then like play that because that works for me i know not every actor it doesn't work for every mm -hmm. actor but i know that for me like 
music is just everything. I was going to say, it's just like we were talking about in the episode um, previously here, is is the importance of music to character. Um, I, I've always... it's The music I listen to, I've always considered the soundtrack of my life, right? Yeah. And it, when it's on and, and something's happening and this happens to be the song that's playing, like, it's it's all relative to me. And I know it's only important to me, but I... I can see where as an actor or as a writer or even as a director to get into the character's head, you, you, what are they listening to? And I think that's brilliant. When, mm. when I first learned that about you, it was, did, so you did one for, did you do one for everyone on Nightcap? No, just the bar. We did one for the bar. For the bar. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. That's the one you, you sent us then, yeah. right? Yeah. We it, just it, had different impres- uh, yeah. ideas of what the, which is fine. Because it, it, it just still worked It out. actually it, helped it, us nail down the bar as a which, character. Right. As a collective. Which was very important for us. And it's, it's funny because my wife, if, if you're going to check her out on Instagram, at Liz Crow author, she's still uh, trying to nail down her first book. But she uses music almost exclusively to get her in a mood of whatever the book or character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has different playlists for each character in her book or yeah. uh, different cities or different chapters of the book, depending on what mood she's going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really helps. Do you do writing exercises of any kind? I don't, and I kind of wish that I did sometimes. Are there any that you know of? Because I like I I would want to participate in something like that, but I don't even know where to start, and I don't want to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that thing a, that I don't want to. There's be a lot a writer. of there's prompts. A lot of like there's yeah. there's books of prompts, and it'd be like you know a hundred prompts to get you started, and I I have written a few short stories from prompts and actually you know what i did once um a writing teacher actually did this for me we we did a fortune cookie story so we broke open a fortune cookie and the and the fortune we had to drop that into our story it had to either be like the theme of the story or a sentence in the story and every week it would just evolve like okay so now you, you know so there are multiple fortune cookies used in one so the one one fortune cookie for the whole piece for the whole piece. and so then what, like it, what evolved about it like it would be like okay this week you know it, it would be one story that we would write at the top of every, every class. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, okay, this week, you know, figure out a way to, to, to you know, to make the theme more for the, the B plot or something like that. Yeah. Or like, you know, figure out, uh, figure out or actually write this into the story. Like write this as a sentence into the story. Drop it in, but it can't, it can't look like it's, you know, like it's got to be organic. Like, so that would evolve, like what you did with the story, like the story, okay, now now add another character to this, or now take away a character, or kill off a character, so like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to let Quinn tap in real quick. Oh, New, yeah. Uh, rookie grip here Bring coming it in. to talk about industry. I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, continue. Oh, no, no, that's it. So I, I don't do writing exercises as much as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that they're incredibly helpful. Um, but yeah, I can't really give you a specific one or a book or something like that. Do you exercise free writing at all? Yeah, I do. When I'm, when I'm, when I'm doing uh, character bios, mm-hmm. I'll just like set a timer and I'll say like, okay, you got 15 minutes, write down everything you can about this character, everything that you know about this character. And I'll do that like free writing like that. Uh, mostly for characters or do you do it for story? Mostly for characters. I, I believe that character comes from, that story comes from character. Mm-hmm. So I, I get the characters first, and then I and then the story comes from that. Uh, so I want to welcome Quinn to the table. Hi, Quinn. Hello, hello. Hey, Patreon. Hey. So, um, Quinn, you've been on how many productions now? Nine now. And that was since since September of twenty twenty two. 
Wow. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got in. So in high school, I, I loved movies just like all of us. Um, and I went to MPI, which is a film school here in Troy, Michigan. A, a lot of the younger guys, at least that I've been on set, are MPI guys. And But I also kind of always wanted to serve in the military, so I kind of figured, like, split the difference and I'll join, like, a reserve force. And then, which I ended up choosing the National Guard. And I came back in uh, 2020. And I couldn't really get any sets, and I kind of worked at a like a dead end job for a year, and then was gonna move to Grand Rapids, quit my job, and then all of a sudden started. I got on like a couple sets, yeah, because um, I finally had like wasn't employed, so it wasn't like oh I got this little thing, and then it's like oh I can only get like three days off, like no I can't do it, but um yeah I was I was open and I was free, and and um I met uh on this one set I met uh Dylan. Dylan Sides, Rowe, and uh, and Phil, mm-hmm. and and Chris, Chris Warren, um, and I like I I just because they seemed cool, so I, I just like I was like, hey, can I come on your next project? And they were like, no, we don't have any room, we don't have any room. I was like, I'll, I'll do it for free. So let me intern. Just I just want to learn more about like about gaffing, you know. And then Dylan was like, okay, and we I, we met on all the shine. I met Joe. I met met you guys. Um, yep. And in like two days, they like had like a. I was like had like a position. No, I wasn't. I wasn't like the intern. I was the grip or whatever. They moved Zach to like second AC. Yeah, and kind of the rest is history. You know, like uh, you know, Joe became like a grip mentor of mine. Um, you know, he hurt his shoulder, and I kind of like saved his butt a little bit on that movie. You um, did. Yeah. <laughs> you sure <laughs> shit did. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's been a hell of a ride. Like, I mean, waking up every morning and actually like loving your job and not like dreading like like your mere existence is just like such a joy and. Like the fact that like we get, I actually get to do this as a job is just like I mean I basically gave up if I'm being honest. Like, like it was my dream to do it. I went to school for it, and then like I couldn't get on sets, and I kind of just like ate the shit sandwich for a year and yeah. didn't. I basically gave up, and if it wasn't for like a few lucky little instances and like worming my way into like where I wanted to be, I yeah I I don't I don't know where I would be if I wasn't gripping. But I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, too. Um, it took me a long time. I, I ate a lot of shit sandwiches. I was a, a very young father, so while I wanted to do um, film early... Oh, that sounds better. <laughs> Still working get, shit out. Did you get that gas out? <laughs> yeah, no, no, not that. <laughs> I'm adjusting my mic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't think there was any work here, and you know, I thought I was going to have to go to school... Uh, being of a different generation, film was a whole lot different. It was a lot less accessible uh, as far as like you know going out and grabbing a camera and, and shooting some shit. But um, you know the will of Joe, uh, never ending. Um, got uh, he found some work and um, through him I was on. If I can't have you, um, and and it's you know the rest is history. From there I came in as a, a grip. Uh, my IMDb credit and, and film credit for that is gaffer, but there were several of us, and I, I was a grip. I, there was, I was not a gaffer. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was the weirdest thing because, I mean, I, we were talking about if I can't have you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was, yeah. I was not a, a gaffer. I mean, I helped Josh grow as a gaffer, but mm-hmm. I came on as utility and yeah, audio, boom mixer and I did, boom, some, boom I, did, I did some stunts. Yeah, like, I was technically boom up, and I did special effects blood makeup and stuff like that like i was just a a utility tenille just saw a talent in me and wanted me to be a part of it and i was just there to bring out the best in everybody 
Um, and one I, of the I feel like we all bred out the best in each other. Though. Oh, you know that's, I mean? that, so. that set will forever, forever in my mind be like the the, the, the paramount, the, 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 that's the word I'm looking for. It's the pinnacle. The, that's the word I was looking for, the pinnacle. pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's me, Joe Magic, mind reader. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, first off, Tanila is an incredible producer and incredibly organized. And um, the I, energy... I love that, like, she's, like, I, at a meeting recently, she was, like, Fred said she, something about how organized she is. And how pretty her paperwork is. And she like flips to one. She goes, but not this one. And it's just the prettiest like organized thing. But it had <laughs> scratch marks through it because she had finished it. But that was the ugly part to them. That that mm -hmm. she scribbled up. But you completed the list, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it that ugly? It's a happy scribble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but it still it still looked more artistic and like clean than like any, like even this this little like yeah just three movies looking like chicken scratch, <laughs> no artistry to it whatsoever, except for maybe the pen. Pen, yeah. So ultimately, that was the the pinnacle. Tanil did a, a fabulous pinnacle. job putting that together. <laughs> uh, we are completely derailed now. I don't even know where that tangent was taking us. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I guess we can always count on you for that. I guess that means the the, the counter's getting to the end if I'm getting that ridiculous. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you're trying to say that the conversation's over and we're wrapping up, we, we can do that. Um, uh, Matt, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? No, not really. Um, sorry, Joe. Uh, I think that it's tough. This is not an easy, fun... I mean, it is can be fun, but being in film is really tough. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you don't absolutely love it, then don't do it. Yeah. Don't come in with a mind that you want to quantify your earnings. Right. You right. I mean, that, the that can happen. That can happen. You know what I mean? Eventually. So, yeah. but the, the approach I take to it and, you know, I being in the, you know, the director's department, you deal a lot with PAs and a lot of PAs are sometimes first day on set or this is their first set or uh, they're they're very green in experience and so they do a lot of complaining they don't realize that our days are going to be long they don't realize that you weren't going to just work eight o'clock to five o'clock that your day might not start until 3 p.m which means yes you're here till 3 a.m um so you get a lot of that negativity and and oh this sucks it sucks so i always come back to telling them like listen i've had shitty jobs i've had some seriously shitty jobs this is not one of them right no, it's they just not. They feed you, you. You're around some of the most interesting people you could ever meet. Mm -hmm. Every every show, I don't care. You're a part what of something new project every I'm day. On. I meet great you know, people every day. Every day, every day, something's new. If it's not a new person that you meet, if it's not a new experience that you have, you're if in it's a not new a new location. location it, there's, I've, I've had office jobs. I've had warehouse jobs. I've had, um, you know, retail store jobs. Like, when it comes to like lack of repetition other than the fact that you know it is like uh, uh i don't want to directly compare it to the military but like there's every every department has a role every department has a job every department has a purpose and and they know what that is so there is the a, a continuity aspect to it but outside of that every other element is new every day mm -hmm. 
in the chaos of the moment. Real life is still happening in real time, and you st- no matter how hard you plan, you can't think of everything. So you try to, and then we make magic. Yeah. Well, on that beautiful statement, uh, we are going to say goodbye, Matt. Again, thank you for staying extra late and mm-hmm. having this conversation with us. Thanks for coming out and joining us on the Unorthodox Film Podcast. Um, thanks again to Quinn for coming by, helping us yeah. set up, keeping us company. Let us know what you think. Give us uh, some feedback. Um, you all have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.